Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Tuesday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about continuity as we continue to approach the offseason here ahead, less than a month away. And with that, we're going to continue our offseason preview series, part two, taking a look at tight ends and the offensive line. All of that and more on this Tuesday, February the 23rd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And first up, some news from late last week, part of the Miami Dolphins Foundation which funds something called the Miami Dolphins Food Relief Program, committed to spending $1 million directly on local minority-owned restaurants before June 1. Now, this happened last summer, and we're still roughly three months away from that goal date. Well, the Dolphins announced on Friday that that $1 million goal has, in fact, been surpassed. So continuing to do great work here in the community and providing people in South Florida with meals since this COVID pandemic really became part of our life. So really proud to be a part of that. Really happy to announce that here and share that with you on the podcast. And some more cool uh, organizational news here as we found out um, on Friday that our very own Jason Jenkins was named as a 2021 Black Men in Excellence by the Black Professionals Network for his corporate leader and community advocacy in the area of South Florida. So congrats once again, Jason. And of course, as always, thank you for everything you've done for me here with the Miami Dolphins. It's, it's greatly appreciated, and it's cool to see hard work and just a great guy be recognized like that. So again, congrats to Mr. Jenkins. Now, on the Friday podcast, I had talked to you guys about going out to a restaurant for the first time and who knows how long. And of course, everybody else had the same idea that I did as there was like an hour-long wait at this restaurant, my favorite restaurant here in my hometown back in Washington state, went out with my brother who lives about 45 minutes away. He drove up and we went out together. So a nice little family outing for the first time. My wife was, was doing something on her own back at the house. So got to spend some time with my brother over the weekend. And of course, everybody else had the exact same idea we did to go to this restaurant. So we had to put in for a reservation, which was like an hour long. So we basically had to wait an hour out in the car and just go find something to do. But we were so excited to get a chance to go out back in public and do that again. And they wound up seating us over in the bar section of this restaurant where nobody it's there's no bar back there anymore they don't actually have the bar service open and they kind of like forgot about us like they didn't come back by for 20 minutes after they sat at us at first and they basically brought the food and didn't come back and at one point the server had walked by and I asked for a thing of ketchup because we had french fries with these these big burgers that we had and I I swear she heard me but she walked by and, and ignored me but still, beyond all of that, I was so happy to be out and to go have a drink with my brother and get some some dinner was a lot of fun. Other than that, this weekend, watched, again, plenty of television. I found out that Boy Meets World is on Disney+, Plus, and that's a great find. Uh, you know, watch out with my daughter. She gets a kick out of just staring at the screen and watching things move around. But it was funny because I was watching it with my wife, and uh, we saw, like, Mr. Feeney and, and Mr. Turner, the, the English teacher in the early episodes, and even and the Matthews, you know, Mr. Matthews, Corey's dad, had, like, injured his back in an episode. And I was like, I find myself sympathizing with the parents now opposed to watching this as a child and being like, what's going on with Corey and, and Sean? But now it's like, oh man, the you know the, the parents are the more sympathetic characters in that show. So that was my weekend. I know not very much fun, but the big restaurant outing was my big thing. 
And then, like I talked about last week, the rest of the weekend, no football on, so not much to watch from that end, just the TV. I did watch the Heat beat the Lakers. That was a pretty fun game. Uh, we had that on our phone at the table, actually, at the restaurant watching that. So go Heat, and please hurry up and get here. Baseball season as well as the NFL offseason because I'm still a little bit bored. All right, that was my weekend. Let's go ahead and get into it here and start with some league news. As we learned late last week, that one of the teams in Miami's conference, the Indianapolis Colts, jumped off the quarterback carousel, as it were. Carson Wentz goes from Philly to Indianapolis to replace the retired Phillip Rivers, and we have our second big trade of the offseason already. Of course, the Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, Rams, and Lions trade that was reported before the Super Bowl, so plenty of activity already going on. And there's a few ties to the Dolphins that I want to explore here with this and the idea of trades. But first... I just want to acknowledge that the offseason has always been a fun event for me as someone that follows the entire league with a very interested eye and has a strong feel for the roster of other teams, for instance, and the profiles of those players on the roster. Like I, I watch a lot of football and digest a lot of information, so I tend to have a good feel for what's going on outside of the Miami Dolphins. And we talked on a podcast a week or two ago about the ability to utilize multiple avenues to improve the roster and how we saw that last year with the Dolphins draft class, of course. All the free agents that had a considerable impact on this team. I mean, consider Byron Jones, Emmanuel Ogba, Kyle Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, all in their first year with the team. And they are part of a scoring defense that finishes sixth in the league in that category and really had a big improvement from 2019. And more on that and continuity here in just a moment. But in addition to the draft and free agency, like we see Miami use, they've also used the waiver wire to churn the roster, to refine a piece like Zach Sealer on your defensive line. We've also seen them utilize the avenue that makes up the larger point here, the trade avenue. And for my money, the NFL offseason, great as it already was, over the last, I don't know, four, five, six years or so, where the league as a whole seems to have embraced the art of the trade and it has thrown this element of chaos into the roster building portion of the calendar as I like to call it and how much more fun has that been as a football fan I mean free agency the draft is great but when you get random news on a Tuesday about a trade I mean that's just that's time you can spend on social media you can go and comment on it and then get engaged in the conversation and then consider how it has an impact on your team around the league it just makes a lot of fun like it's fun to watch other teams make deals and it's certainly a lot of fun to watch how Chris Greer and company use their capital at their disposal to improve this Dolphins roster a trade for instance like Lynn Bowden last September the acquisition of the uh, fourth or third round draft pick rather of the Raiders who comes over to Miami for some draft pick swaps so that's my I suppose monologue on how an already great part of the NFL calendar has gotten even better in recent years and the more focus point here what we might be looking at from a continuity standpoint this year across the league I think it was Adam Schefter who said he could see as many as 18 teams with new starting quarterbacks from last season in the NFL this year Now, this current Dolphins team is one that knows all about the acclimation period, right? We've seen considerable roster overturn since Brian Flores arrived, and not just strictly specific to the top part of the roster with the first-round draft picks, the premium buy free agents. I mean, take it from someone who wrote a daily news piece five days a week last August during training camp when the Dolphins would scour the waiver wire and constantly churn that bottom part of the roster— 
and they'd eventually even bring guys back too in some instances. Like for instance, Javaris Davis was signed in August. He was let go and then brought back, spent time on the practice squad, and now he's here on a futures deal. The point is they've done the due diligence on getting their guys on a lot of players, and that bottom part of the roster continues to overturn. And wouldn't you know it, this team found itself playing its best football as the season went along. Of course, we know now about the 1-3 and three start. The defense allowed some of its higher point totals of the season in that first month with 31 points allowed to both Buffalo and Seattle, and they would go on to allow just 31 points two more times over the next 12 games. So a drastic improvement that way by the defense. We saw the offense hit strides as experience kind of continued to accumulate there. Like for instance, Robert Hunt, we've talked about his six game finish to the season at that right tackle position, how he continued to grow and get better. Austin Jackson playing some of his best ball after getting back from that injury that knocked him out for a few games in the middle of the season. So now after plenty of work done to the roster, the five win improvement from 2019 While a lot of these rookies stacked up snap counts and a lesson with each and every one last season, right? Every snap counts a chance to learn a lesson and a a play on tape to go back and look at. Now the Dolphins have an opportunity for some continuity. And of course, with four picks in the top 50 and, and some more flexibility with the cap space and that kind of thing, of course, there will be new players, but you get a chance to see Jackson, Hunt, and Kinley now go into a training camp with experience. Like we talked about with Field Yates in the podcast, they know how to get to the building, how to get to the locker room, how to get to the cafeteria. Like they know their way around the building. And it's not going to be those first day of school, like new habits you have to form. They've got their routine down now, right? You get a chance to watch Raekwon Davis continue the trajectory where he took off in the second half of the season. And I told you guys, I've been running back the tape here on this team in this, in this season uh, recently. We saw Lynn Bowden come from occasional active, sometimes inactive on game day. But when he was on the field, he'd get like a few snaps, a target, or maybe a carry or two here or there. And that was it. But by the end of the season, he's playing 50 plus snaps and contributing to the passing game and the offense as a whole. We get to see Brandon Jones continue to have the game slow down for him, something he talked about throughout the course of the season, the third highest snap taker at that safety position. With his studious nature that we've covered on this podcast on MiamiDolphins.com that he's talked about himself at press conferences and the like, you have to imagine that only continues. And that list goes on and on and on. The whole backfield currently is made up of guys going into year two or three. I mentioned Bowden at receiver. He's not the only second-year player in that receiver room coming back. Of course, Malcolm Perry and Kirk Merritt on a futures contract. I mentioned the offensive line. And speaking of that, how about the work of Michael Dieter and what he did in limited action last year off the bench? Thought he played pretty damn well in that game. Another year of development for him, that's always going to be a boon too. Benito Jones on the defensive line got some time behind the big three, you know, Wilkins, Sealer, and Davis that we've covered here on this podcast, playing in place at times of the injured Devon Godshaw. Van Ginkle, we saw that year one to year two jump. I mentioned Brandon Jones and, of course, Noah Igbenogany. Both those guys get valuable snaps last season as well. So all these position groups, from quarterback, running back, receiver, down to the defensive backs on that side of the football, all these position groups... There are resources to bolster those positions, but we should see a lot of continuity and reason to expect growth really early in each one of those positions because, again, last year, so many of these guys were coming into their own and their first really experience here in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. So you finally have some continuity at those positions in addition to the capital to benefit and improve your roster. So in a year, we're probably going to see some crazy quarterback movement and maybe similar madness at other positions as well. Here's to continuity from 2020 to 2021 as this roster continues to improve and get better under Chris Greer and Brian Flores. And as I almost forget here, a footnote to the whole idea, the impact of the draft, 
you know, the way the veteran quarterback market shakes out always shapes the way the draft takes hold, right? It's going to change the way teams will approach their draft if you get a quarterback compared to if you don't get a quarterback that you're happy with going into the season. And with a third pick this year, it's conceivable that when the Dolphins pick comes up, they could have the pick, the the non-quarterback pick of the litter could be at their disposal. We've seen quarterbacks go one, two in the draft a lot before. And then at that point, how much value does that pick have? It's it's all going to be connected and it's all going to be fascinating. And it starts here very shortly. We are getting very, very close to the start of the new league year. All right, let's go ahead and get into the offseason preview, our second part here. And let's remind the folks out there that these are the opinions of yours truly and in no way reflect the team's opinion. Capiche on that? All right. So on Friday, we did the quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. If you missed that episode, go ahead and give us a quick pause. We'll wait for you. Listen to that episode, then come back and finish up this pod. We're going to get to the offensive line and tight ends here on part two. And let's go ahead and start with the latter there, the tight ends. And first, our incumbents. Not one of them is targeted for free agency. So the whole gang is in tow right now with fourth years, Mike Gesicki and Durham Smythe. They're both back. The recently extended Adam Shaheen after coming over this offseason in a trade with the Chicago Bears. He is under contract after that extension. And Temple Tough Chris Myrick entering his third season. He's here on a futures contract. And the consistency of this group is really, to me, what I found most pleasing. When Smythe went down for a couple of games, Shaheen was right there to pick it up and really fulfilled that role of the guy that kind of does the dirty work as Durham so often has in his time here in Miami. And that's not to say Shaheen wasn't already doing that in games with Durham up and active and playing. But they found ways to get all three of the guys onto the field at different times this year. Some 13 personnel packages. I even asked Coach Godsey, the Dolphins tight end coach in 2020, about being able to utilize 13 personnel and go empty from that grouping, which they did a couple of times. And he just said that spoke to the versatility of all three of those guys. Of course, plenty of 12 personnel and tons of good dig out blocks, second level blocks and chips from these guys. I really enjoyed watching their work in the running game this year. And then, of course, there was Mike Gesicki in another year of really top-end, tight-end production. Say that five times fast in the passing game. And of course, the room as a whole set franchise records in receptions and yards and tied the franchise mark with 11 touchdowns, 91 catches, and 1,061 yards for good measure on those franchise marks. Kasicki chipped into those numbers a lot. 53 catches was 12th most among tight ends in the NFL. His 703 yards were 4th most among all tight ends, and his 6 touchdowns were 10th best at the position. And as he goes along, he just gets better at the little things that make his game continue to grow and improve, like fighting through contact at all levels of the route and maintaining his balance, fighting through a podcast when your toddler is screaming downstairs, high-pointing tough catches, getting more and more involved as a blocker and making himself dual functionality as all these tight ends are. So you've got the absolute weapon in Gasicki, two stout blockers who can catch a pass in the flat and then run somebody over. We saw Adam Shaheen get nominated for angry runs this season by Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football. Not to mention big-time special teams contributions. We've heard from Coach Crossman, Dolphins special teams coordinator, the challenges they have of replacing Durham Smythe on special teams when he's not available. And then, of course, Chris Myrick. He made his NFL debut this last season. A nice, well-rounded tight end room there for the Dolphins. Now, should, should the Dolphins explore the market? 
what's out there? Glad you asked. Let's go ahead and start with Pro Football Focus's list of their top 150 free agents. Plenty of good tight ends on this list. Hunter Henry checks in first at number 10 overall out of the, uh, the Chargers tight end. A great player who's missed a lot of games in his career, but it looked like he was back to his form in 2020 with the Chargers after a 2018 ACL tear. You know, 2019, the first season off that big of an injury sometimes takes some time to regroup and get back to the mental reps and the mental fortitude and the physical strengthening of that ligament. So he looked like he was back in full force in 2020. Jonu Smith comes in at 32 on the PFF top 150 free agents. One of my favorite players in the league, man. Just, I can't imagine such a good young player who's integral to that play action heavy attack they use there in Tennessee gets out the door. Guy averages 6.8 yards of yak. Remember, this is a tight end, six and a half yards or 6.8 yards rather after the catch on average. Gerald Everett is next at 49, a move tight end athletic guy that's averaged more than five yards per catch in his career with 30 broken tackles on 130 catches. He's basically a broken tackle every, I'm no mathematician, but what is that? Four and a quarter catches, athletic and dangerous with a football in his hands. Gronk comes in at 63, of course, came out of retirement to be with his boy Tom down in Tampa Bay, signed that one-year deal. We'll see where he winds up after the Super Bowl run. Jared Cook, number 79 on this list. This guy has produced a ton in this league, 34 years old, but still getting it done in the NFL. Anthony Ferkser, another Titans tight end at 112, checks in next. He moved all over that Arthur Smith formation once again. You got H-backs, inline blockers, guys flexed out wide, making, you know, different formations out of similar personnel grouping and he's big enough at 246 to do some of that dirty work as well so pass catcher well-rounded tight end there Trey Burton also on this list Dan Arnold also on this list who had a nice year with the Cardinals last year after coming over from the Saints they round out a pretty solid group of potential free agents there on the pro football focus top 150 free agents for 2021 then we look ahead to the draft in April and I don't think it's hyperbolic to call Kyle Pitts the best tight end prospect since at least Vernon Davis, he moves like a gazelle. He can burn good, good SEC cornerbacks on double moves. Cornerbacks, SEC, on double moves with suddenness, deception, and just great overall route running. He could posterize anybody by winning with body position. He was a production machine at Florida and just an utter matchup nightmare for whichever defense is going to face him because of the ability to play all over the formation and just give mismatches to safeties, corners, linebackers, you name it. And Pitts is going to be interesting in the sense that he challenges conventional norms. Like you usually say the tight end position isn't one that comes off the board early, right? But some folks think that he is just the best non-quarterback in this class in general. And that's really saying something. But as we mentioned conventional norms, there's nothing conventional at all about this kid. A lot of draft pundits are using wide receivers as their comp for him. He's going to play all over someone's formation and make tons of plays in this league. He is the fourth ranked player on the Draft Network's big board. Up next among tight ends is Pat Fryermuth, Fryermuth, excuse me, who's 33 on their big board, another pass-catching tight end, but he has the frame and mindset to really develop his ability as a blocker as well at 6'5", 250. He had a nice career at Penn State. Then Brevin Jordan is next for them at 36 before a big drop in, in rankings on TDN. And Kane's fans are familiar. Another twitched up athletic mismatch who can hit the big home run ball down the field and, and make big plays after the catch. The type of guy you can put on the field and really seamlessly transition from personnel groupings because of his ability to threaten the defense once again from multiple alignments. 
So he's 36, Brevin Jordan out of Miami. And then at 91, the next tight end, their fourth tight end comes on their big board rankings. Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame, Hunter Long out of BC, Trey McKitty out of Georgia, and then Kenny Yaboa rounds out the tight ends in the top 200 on the draft network. And that last name there, he played in the senior bowl, Kenny Yaboa out of Ole Miss. I'm intrigued by his game, six foot four, 250 pounds. And wouldn't you know it, athletic as all get out. Exceptional body control, and he produced big time for an Ole Miss offense and did a lot of that working in line as well as down in the red zone. So a classic F-type tight end there from what he showed on tape. So that's the tight end position. Let's go ahead and finish up the offense here on the offseason preview, part two of four parts here on the Drive Time Podcast with me, your host, yours truly, Travis Wingfield. We're going to finish up this with the offensive line before we get to the defense later on down the line, either this week or next week. We'll see what the podcast schedule looks like. But that's your tight end group. Let's go ahead and get inside to the beef, the offensive line and area. We saw sweeping changes on this roster last season. And let's go ahead and start with the incumbents. And the scheduled free agents, there's three of them, all unrestricted. Julian Davenport, Adam Pankey, and Ted Karras. And Pankey got some snaps in heavy personnel last season, as did Davenport. But he also filled in for Austin Jackson when Jackson went down in that Seahawks game. And then Ted Karras, who played every single snap this year for the Dolphins at center. And just one of my favorite interviews every time we got a chance to talk to him. Really nice and easygoing guy. Team captain for the Dolphins up front. He is scheduled to be an unrestricted free agent. As far as the guys under contract, the incumbents heading into 2021, we know about Austin Jackson, the third youngest player in the National Football League last year. And we know about his story by now about how he didn't have the offseason, his final season at USC, and he worked together, you know, get his weight back, get his strength back. And we saw the athletic build of Austin Jackson, I thought, all year long with how quickly he gets into his pass sets and how you can slide protection away from him because he does have that two-way go type of responsibility where he's athletic enough and has the feet, the footwork good enough to handle a pass rusher, threatening upfield, coming back underneath where you don't have the inside help of the guard because you slide protection away to a possible blitz to the other side of the formation. Whatever it might be, Jackson has that makeup, of course, is what made him, that skill set is what made him the 18th pick in the draft last year. So I can't wait to watch him develop and just get better and better. Same as this is the case with Solomon Kinley, who had eight games last year with a goose egg in the pass protection department as far as pressures allowed on the quarterback. And we talked all season long about how he would punish dudes and play through the echo of the whistle. Brandon Thorne, who did the podcast about a month ago, talked about punishing jumpers, how when a guy tries to jump up to bat the ball down at the line of scrimmage and affect your quarterback's vision and passing lane, you put them on the ground. And Kinley did that routinely throughout the year. Fun tape to watch and just a different built dude. He is so big and and gets that push in the run game and, and can really be just dense in the passing game as well. Really excited about the future of Solomon Kinley, as I am about Robert Hunt, who was a punishing mover in the run game in the back half of the season. I was also impressed by his refinement and pass protection. You got the first rep of his career at right tackle he played some heavy personnel, but his first actual pass set where he's not in there to go bowl somebody over at the line of scrimmage, he goes up against Eric Armstead and looks like a veteran handling a really long-armed, strong, uh, just dominant pass rusher there in Armstead. So those three guys growing and developing together and the way they kind of work together in terms of they're all very big, they've got loose hips and loose feet that can really help them get to second level and make those second level blocks and, and get that push in the running game too should go a long way as they develop with 
rookie quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, all four of those guys in the same class coming along together. Then we go to the veterans of the group and Eric Flowers, who prior to the injury, I thought he was one of the most consistent players along that offensive line all season long, played really good football people mover, man. So many touchdown runs were off of his butt down in those goal line short yarded situations where the Dolphins would punch it in over the goal line for six, coming off that left guard spot with a lead block by someone like Christian Wilkins or something, but you always had flowers and they're turning guys out. He also was fun to watch on tape because he would bounce up and go pick up his running back downfield after a big play. So a lot of energy, hometown kid, fun to root for. Jesse Davis, captain in every sense of the word, has played four positions and even cross-trained this year at the fifth at center this past season. So that flexibility goes a long way. And he's been a reliable guy for this Dolphins offensive line for a while. I mentioned Michael Dieter. He filled in in that Cincinnati game when injuries were just piling up. Flexible, durable technician were the notes I have on Dieter. Then we've got four futures contracts with Tyler Gothier, Jonathan Hubbard, Durval Kiairos Nato, Cameron Tom, an interior offensive lineman who spent time with the Saints last season. And we talked about on a previous edition of the Drive Time Podcast here, all the flexibility in those guys and their ability to play not just different positions, but different schemes or different, their different skill sets allow you to run a multiple scheme type of offense that takes advantage of the weekly matchup, right? That's something that Brian Flores is very big on. I think this group, and of course, we'll see what happens this offseason, but this group, it gives you a really good start as far as the ability to be flexible in your game plans, but also it allows you to be flexible in how you address the roster where you can take maybe the best offensive lineman you want if you choose to do that, regardless of position, because that's the beauty, right, of having a bunch of flexible guys that can play guard tackle or guys that can play center guard, is you can move them around and fill out the roster as you see fit that way and, and continue to get guys that are versatile, can do multiple things and play with those nasty mean streaks on that offensive line. So the pro football focus, top 150 free agents ahead of the 2021 offseason. And first up on the offensive line list at the tackle position is Trent Williams. We know about that future Hall of Famer's career, missed 2019 came back in 2020 and picked right up where he left off. Taylor Moten out of Carolina, the offensive tackle there for the Panthers. He is a a really good scheme diverse, gets some push in the running game, works in the passing game as well. Number 14 on the pro football focus, top 150 free agents list. And you'll see a theme here of guys that are into their mid thirties that continue to play well, like number 33, Russell Okung. He's been getting it done forever. And that's just like a trend in the NFL nowadays. Older tackles can play into their mid to late thirties, like Alejandre Villanueva from Pittsburgh. And PFF wrote, there's immense value in solid mid-tier offensive linemen. And that's exactly what Villanueva has been throughout his career. He's graded between 74 and 82 in each of his last five seasons. He ranks in the 54th percentile in PFF pass blocking grade and 46th percentile in pass blocking grade on true pass sets during that time. So they like him as a, a good free agent value buy. Daryl Williams is next on their list. He went from Carolina to Buffalo under Sean McDermott and had the best year of his career in 2020. Kelvin Beecham, another example of a 30s tackle, getting it done still today. And then also in Pittsburgh, speaking of Villanueva, Matt Fiedler started for the Steelers last season and he can play either tackle position. So he has that swing tackle ability. And then Mike Remmers, Cam Robinson, Cameron Fleming, and Ty Inseki round out the tackles on PFF's top 100 50 free agent list. 
but this year's draft class is absolutely legit. And a lot like the receiver position where these last two years have just been absolute boons of talent and fluxed into the NFL. That's the same deal with the offensive tackle group, man. Last year was a great, great class. This year's looks just as good. And let's go ahead and start with the tackles in the draft. And a lot like the tight ends were all pretty much athletic freaks out there. These these tackles have such mean finishing type of temperaments that I just love to watch and it starts with Panay Sewell out of Oregon and this was a kid that was dominant his first day on campus as a true freshman and he's still just 21 years old already six foot five 325 well defined just looks the part typewriter feet with you know talk about the the Austin Jackson ability to be athletic to get inside outside this guy can do that as well he has a that just rare rare nasty streak as well to finish plays he's a rare offensive tackle prospect he's number two on the draft net works overall big board. Number nine on their board is our second offensive tackle, Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech. And again, finishing. You watch this guy get out in space at Va Tech, just bullying people, two people at a time, getting his hands on multiple guys and making an impact that way. And he also is pretty good in patch protection out there at left tackle as well. Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, number 10 on their big board. He did not play this year. Like Panay Sewell, both of those guys opted out. But Daniel Jeremiah has Slater as his top offensive tackle in this year's class. He is really, you know, that same that same mold. Like if you're going to be top 10, you better be athletic and be able to move guys in the running game. That's the case for all three of these guys. Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan. Haven't gotten around to watching his tape yet. He's number 21 on TDN's big board. Dylan Radons out of North Dakota State. We heard Jim Nagy talk about him on the podcast. We saw him have a great week at the Senior Bowl. His North Dakota State tape is, they played one game this year, but you go back to 2019, he's ridiculous, man. Like there's instances where he's blocking guys three or four gaps across the formation. Not even That's not even hyperbole. Like he's doing it. He's taking guys from one hash mark to the other hash mark. He's getting it done, pass protection, taking on, taking on two rushers at once with one hand on each guy. Like it's video game type of film at North Dakota State. Jackson Carmen, number 39 from Clemson. He's on this list. A massive, massive guy. Six foot five, 345 pounds, big wingspan. Liam Eichenberg out of Notre Dame. Different, different type of build there. Six foot six, 305, but he's one of the more technically refined tackles in this class. Had a great week at the Senior Bowl. Tevin Jenkins, number 47 out of Oklahoma State. I just watched him the other day. My goodness, you want to talk about a bully out there. This guy. We talked about Robert Hunt's tape last year, how he was throwing guys all over the football field routinely. Tevin Jenkins does the exact same thing. Go check out his Texas tape against Joseph Asai, who is probably a first-round draft pick at the edge spot. He had some great reps in that battle between those two guys. Go watch that tape. Speaking of Texas, Samuel Cosme, the, ta- the tackle from Texas, comes in at 51 on their big board. Uh, he's he had a good, long career there at Texas. Same is true of Alex Leatherwood, number 61 on their list. He played all four years at Alabama. Walker Little from Stanford. Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, 6'8", 314-pound Spencer Brown. He played at the Senior Bowl as well, and that length was on display throughout the course of that week. So this tackle class is, it's good. It's got different flavors you might like. It's deep. I won't go into the rest of this this list here because there are some players I think that have an impact, you know, day three type of pick guys on this list, but go ahead and check out the draft network for yourself. Let's go ahead and move to the interior offensive line. We talked about the Dolphins incumbents on that group. Ted Karras scheduled to be a free agent, played every snap at center last season. Let's go ahead and look at the free agents to be top 150 on PFF. And we'll go ahead and finish up this part two off-season preview edition here of the Drive Time Podcast with the interior offensive line. 
And we start with number nine, Brandon Scherf from Washington. He was a free agent heading into last offseason, but he got hit with the franchise tag and then just went out there and killed it once again as he has done his whole career. The former number five pick in the draft has lived up to that billing every step of the way. And next on this list is another guy who was scheduled to hit free agency but got hit with the franchise tag before that could happen in Joe Tooney out of New England. And both those guys, Scherf and Tooney, were bells of the ball last year. And that's kind of an idea of how free agency works in the NFL. This list looks great on paper right now, but it'll get picked clean by franchise tags and extensions before we actually get to mid-March. But Joe Tooney, five years in the league, has never missed a snap. He's as good and as durable as they come. Now, the 26th player on their list is our next offensive lineman, Interior, and that's a center in Corey Lindsley from Green Bay, one of the top centers in the NFL, and he had perhaps his best season in 2020. PFF credited him with just four pressures allowed on 437 pass blocking attempts this season. Yet another homegrown offensive lineman there with the Packers and PFF projects they do not let him leave. He's been a key part of that battery between he and Aaron Rodgers. The next interior offensive lineman is also a center in Patriots David Andrews. He checks in at 69 and it was just great to see him back on the field playing football again this year after missing the 2019 season with blood clots in his lungs. But Pro Football Focus says he has one of the lowest negatively graded play percentages in the league. So basically, you're not going to have plays blown up by David Andrews on the interior. That's a great trait to have to develop that consistent inside running game. Number 73 on the list is a center also, Austin Ryder from Kansas City. Big year with the Chiefs last year, was not flagged and allowed just seven pressures all season. At number 80, center Alex Mack. You look in the dictionary, the NFL dictionary that is, at zone scheme centers, and there's a picture in there of Alex Mack. He really hit his stride in that Shanahan Falcons offense for a number of years there. He was with Shanahan in Cleveland as well. And even though he's entering his age 36 season, this guy can still play football. And then there's Ted Karras checking in here. He allowed just 11 pressures for the Dolphins this season per pro football focus. We finish up here with the interior offensive line draft class and the draft network's top rated interior offensive lineman, played tackle in college, and Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Now, people love his quickness, his ability to get out in space, his ability to kind of pop the hips and and get leverage in the blocking game that way, a zone type of uh, run blocking game that way, and he's a really, really good player. Now, Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State is next on their list at 31, and he is the opposite. He's a mauler, a mean guy that's going to mug you, run you over, and just get consistent push. He's got NFL bloodlines, plenty of snaps, lots of experience, kind of a plug and play type of guy in Wyatt Davis. And the same could be said of number 58 on the list, their third interior offensive lineman. It's Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, who there were so many times in that Oklahoma passing offense where he would like just have nothing else to do after the rep because he would lock out his guy so strong and so quickly that he didn't have any other work to do besides just stand there and hold him off. So at times it looks like he's just kind of chilling there, but he's just getting the job done consistently in the passing game. Josh Myers, Ohio State, number 72, plays interior offensive line there as well on the center position. Six foot five, 312. Another one of these four-year stars there at Ohio State. They just produce guys on that offensive line. Landon Dickerson rounds out the players in the top 100 on the uh, TDN list. He tore his ACL at the end of the season. He had that great story where he got in the national championship game to, to have a kneel down snap, even though he had the torn ACL. Just an absolute oozes leadership out of Landon Dickerson. He was at the senior bowl as well, coaching guys up and, and doing things down there too. So Dickerson's a big time prospect. The next guy on the list is a, a player that I really kind of fell in love with his tape back in 2019, Trey Smith out of Tennessee. He's number 107 here on TDN's big board, but man, he is a mountain of a man. 331 pounds, 6'5 and a half. 
and he will absolutely blow guys off the football. So big, powerful body there. They have a couple more guys here in this top 200 with uh, Drake Jackson. We talked about him at the Senior Bowl. He had a really good Senior Bowl week. You've also got Quinn Minerts out of uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, who had a hell of a week at the Senior Bowl, had the famous belly hanging out of his out of his jersey and just moving guys off the football. They showed a clip of him during the Senior Bowl, his off-season training he does up in Canada where he's like chopping wood and and running around in the woods just doing a bunch of (laughs) high-intensity stuff. So he's a fun guy to watch. Deontay Brown was also at the Senior Bowl, number 152 here on the TDN big board. He's just a mountain of a human being, 364 pounds there out of Alabama. So check out the Draft Network. Check out Pro Football Focus. Plenty of off-season content for you guys out there in the ether. We're going to continue to cover that stuff for you here on the Drive Time Podcast. Get to some more guests on the offseason and continue to work towards getting you guys towards that new league year towards free agency we're going to have that stuff covered for you wall to wall here on drive time and continue to get you good guests and good content here on the podcast in the meantime as for my time that's going to be my time you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple podcast leave us a rating leave us a review give me a follow on twitter it's at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank and the audible podcasts and of course MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.